Well, thank you for your worship and song, and now we continue that worship as we come before God's Word. I want to invite you to open up to the book of Exodus, uh, chapter 4. We're picking up where we left off last week. Uh, we're going to cover, uh, like I said last week, like chapters at a time as we sort of progress through this and, and move through it. Um, I want to begin by asking a question, uh, rhetorically speaking. Uh, how do you motivate someone to do something when they don't want to do it? How do you motivate yourself to do something when you yourself don't want to do the thing that you're supposed to do? When I was growing up, as I thought about this question this week, uh, one of the things that I didn't like doing when I was in middle school, I didn't like waking up in the morning to go to school. And so my mom would come in there and she'd say, hey, it's time to get up. And then I'd stay under the covers. And then she'd come back about five minutes later and she'd say, hey, it's time to get up. And I'd stay under the covers. And then one of the things my mom began to do is she knew that I wasn't going to get up and move. And so what she did, which was a pretty uh, stellar mom move, is she would get the vacuum cleaner out and plug it in. And she would start vacuuming my room in the morning to get me to get up. And it's, it's pretty brilliant because uh, there in the confines of my bed, she created a place in my bedroom where I no longer wanted to be. And so it was motivating for me to, to get up and to get going. And she did this throughout my entirety of my childhood on into when I was in high school and still wouldn't, didn't enjoy getting up. But it was the thing that she did to motivate me. And here in Exodus chapter 4, we have this moment where God is seeking to motivate and to command, to implore our main character, Moses, in this moment and seeking to motivate him to do something that Moses doesn't want to do. We saw last week how the Lord begins to appear to Moses and he, he consumes, the, the bush is burning, but it's not consumed. And so God is speaking and Moses is asking questions in chapter three, like, who is it that I should say has sent me to go and deliver my people, your people from? And he says, I am who I am. And we pick up with that dialogue beginning in verse one of Exodus four. Would you read with me where it says this, then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, it's a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from the serpent. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. And so he put out his hand and he caught it by the tail and it became a staff once again in his hand that they may believe that the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. And so Moses is in this place where he's been living in relative obscurity for the past 40 years. He's about 80 years old at this point. He had grown up within Pharaoh's court, and then he was exiled, and he fleed, and now he was just a shepherd working for his father-in-law, who was the priest of Midian. And so here he is, finding himself in a place at 80 years old, and God was calling him to do something remarkable. God was calling Moses to do the, the very thing that the people of God had been crying out for for 400 plus years, that Moses was going to be the instrument in the hand of his God that would free and deliver his people from the hand of the Pharaoh. And Moses says, I, I'm going to go on this mission and they're not going to believe me. And so the Lord says, that's fine, I'll send you and, and I'll call you to this place and I'm going to do some miraculous things in front of these people so that they'll know that you're not coming in your own strength and in your own power, but they will know that I, your God, am the one that sent you. 
And what God was doing in this moment, he was bringing Moses to this place where Moses had to begin to to learn again that, that his service before his God was a privilege. See, our church, we have a a mission and a vision, and we have what we call our our core values. And mission is what we do. Vision is who we're becoming. But the culture that exists within the church is displayed and and written out based on our core values. And one of the core values that we have at Travis, that we come here and we understand and we believe this with every fiber in our being, that service is a privilege before God. That when God calls us to to serve him or to serve his people or to serve this community, it is a great honor and a a privilege. It's not a, a duty and it's not an obligation, but it is something that we enjoy getting to do as we meet the needs within this body and as we meet the needs that exist within our city. Service is a privilege. And what we see from Moses' life here in the very beginning as God is calling him to go back into the Pharaoh's hand, where God calls you, he also is going to equip you with what you need. And so when he calls you to places of service, he's going to give you the very thing that you need to accomplish the mission and the task that he has set you out on. I think oftentimes we find ourselves in trouble when when we begin to establish our own mission and we don't feel equipped and we feel a sense of inadequacy. But every time God would call us to live on his mission and to be about his kingdom, he's always going to give us the very thing that we need to accomplish the task that he has divinely given his people. And so he tells Moses to go. He says, I'm going to turn this little stick that you've got in your hand that you're shepherding, and I'm going to turn it into a serpent. Now, there's a sense of irony that exists here in this moment as God turns the staff into a, a serpent, into a snake, into, uh, into this animal that crawls on its belly. The reason why this is significant is because the cobra in Egypt at this time, it was the national god of lower Egypt. And what I mean by that is that everywhere the Pharaoh went, from his headdress to the paintings and the sculptures, they were always depicted with a serpent next to him. It was on his clothing. It was a revered animal, and it was, it was worshipped by the Egyptian people. And so when God tells Moses to take this ordinary stick and to throw it on the ground, And it appears and it takes the form of a servant. What God is doing in that moment and what he's going to do when he does it in front of Pharaoh is he is speaking directly against the God that the Egyptians have elevated to worship. And now God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is saying, I am more powerful than that God in which you serve. I can create something out of nothing. I can turn a wooden stick into the cobra, into the snake that you worship so vehemently. And I can do this all without breaking a sweat or without any tears or any blood. I will turn it into and I will speak directly against the gods that you worship. Verse 6 goes on and he says, and the Lord says to him, put your hand inside your cloak And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. And he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God says, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. And if they do not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. 
And so God says, I'll turn the staff into a serpent. I'll make your unclean hand clean again, once again. If they still don't believe you, then, then oh, by the way, we're going to turn some water into some, into some blood so that they will know. You see, what God was doing with Moses in this point, he was doing some extraordinary things in a very ordinary man. And then Moses says in verse 10, look at me with the text where it says this, but Moses then says to the Lord, oh my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. And so here's what God was doing with Moses' life. And here's what God is perhaps doing in some of your lives today. You see, God often puts us in places of service that are beyond our abilities to serve. He puts us in hard places, in difficult circumstances, and in difficult situations. Why? Because he is reminding us of our inability to accomplish those things and to do those tasks. And what he's wanting us to, to recognize is this reality that for the Christian, that where we are weak, he will then be strong and he will serve on our behalf. And he will do before us what we as a, as a person, what we as a people are incapable of doing of our own. And so he puts us in the hard places. He puts us in the difficult situations. He puts us in the circumstances that we'd say we would never do that again. When I was a junior in high school, active in my local church at First Baptist Longview, and once a month we would go to what was called the Highway 80 Rescue Mission. And it was one Saturday out of the month that we would go, and in our student ministry, we would cook the dinner for the, for the homeless guys and gals that were coming in, and then we had a church service after that. And so typically, David, my student minister at the time, he, he would ask one of the students in advance, he would say, listen, we're gonna, this is going to be a student-led time of worship. I'm going to have one of y'all preach, and I'm going to have the students lead in worship as we come before these people to serve them with, with a meal, but then we're going to feed them with spiritual food. And God had just saved me probably six months prior to that, and, and I just uh, very uh, uh, courageously or foolishly, I guess at the time, when David asked for a volunteer, I said, I'll be the one to do it. I'll speak. Had no background in, in communication and never gone up and, and spoken in front of anyone ever before. And so I prepared for a whole week, and I wrote out all my notes, and I was ready and knew exactly what I was going to say. And the moment of truth comes up, and it's my turn to stand behind the pulpit. And I walk up there and get behind that podium, and I look out into this room as I'm looking at you, and I completely froze. I couldn't put a sentence together. I didn't know what to say, and the irony was I had my notes right in front of me. All I had to do was read, and I, I stood before that group of about 100 people for what seemed like over an hour, which was only a matter of seconds, and I remember going back to my podium, and I just remember reading from the notes, and I didn't look up at all. I kept my hands clenched to the, to the podium that was in front of me. I didn't make any eye contact. I had no uh, cadence in my voice, no, no use of rhetoric or communication, and I remember when I sat down, I said to myself, I will never, ever, for the rest of my life, ever, not a chance, ever going to get back in front of people again and speak. I'll never do it. I was embarrassed. I, I felt like I humiliated myself. And in that moment, what God began to do over a, over a series of, of moments is he began to call me to do the very thing that I, that I didn't want to do, to do the very thing that I made everybody else in the room uncomfortable because I was uncomfortable and I was awkward. You ever been before a speaker like that and they make you uncomfortable by how they deliver and what they say like I'm doing to you right now? 
And I said, I'll never do that. You see, God often will call us to do the very hard things, and he puts us in places of service that are far beyond our abilities to serve. And he will nurture those gifts. Even if you don't think that you have a gift, he'll develop that heart, and he'll give you compassion and show you mercy. Verse 10, Moses says to the Lord, I'm not eloquent. It it literally reads out of the Hebrew, O Lord, I am not a man of words. I have a heavy mouth. Scholars would contend, and it's all conjecture really, that Moses had some sort of psychological problem or, or he lacked confidence. Or others would suggest that he had some sort of speech impediment. And the Hebrew really doesn't say one way or the other, except it just literally reads, I'm heavy of mouth. I'm not a man of words. I'm not eloquent. What Moses was saying in that moment is, surely, Lord, there is somebody else out there that is better than me and more capable than me and more qualified than me. Surely, God, of of all of your, your people... The Hebrews had multiplied up until this point, and there were over two and a half million of them. We know that from when they leave the Exodus. There were close to two million of God's servants, of God's people. And yet, in this moment, God chose Moses. He picked Moses, an obscure farmer in the middle of nowhere who was running from God. And God says, you're going to be the one that I use. You're going to be the one that delivers my people, our people, from the hands of the Pharaoh. You're going to be the one. And oftentimes I I think that we all grew up hearing from our mom and dads how special we were. And we want to hear that, right? We're, we, we, from, from the day that we're, we're born and we in our, our homes with our families, we, we even tell our kids how, how special they are and how unique they are. And we want to build that confidence up in them. But, but here's the truth of many of the people that we see and read about in this scripture is they weren't actually that special of individuals. They were just ordinary men and ordinary women who were just trying to to live lives of of faithfulness and obedience. And then what we're meant to do is to see guys like Moses, whose beginning was, was certainly remarkable, but he had spent 40 years out in the wilderness living in obscurity. Friends, he wasn't that special. And so God plucks him from out in the middle of nowhere And then God decides in his sovereignty and God decides in his goodness to to do something with a quite ordinary man, to do something quite remarkable, to deliver his people from the hands of the Pharaoh. But yet Moses rhetorically goes back to him and he says, who am I? I'm not not this eloquent. I I have nothing to to boast in in, and what I can say. And then verse 11, then the Lord responds to to Moses' request to find someone else. Maybe you've made a mistake, God. And then the Lord says to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute? Who makes him deaf? Uh, who, who allows him to see or, or is blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth, and I will teach you what to speak. What the Lord's doing in that moment is he is uniquely reminding Moses 
That Moses didn't earn this qualification, but that God in his sovereignty and his goodness, he, he put it on him. And he said, your inability to speak and to say things, I'm going to give you the words to say. I'm going to show you what to speak and how to speak it. And I'm going to give you some help in the process. Who, who, are, who are you, Moses? I'm the one that makes you see and, and can hear and, and can taste and, and can smell. I made you uniquely just like you are. You're fearfully and you are wonderfully made. What I find so interesting about this moment is the Lord reminds Moses who he is. Moses is focusing on his weakness. He's focusing on his, his disability, if you will. And, he, and he's sort of having this back and forth with God, complaining and, and grumbling that God would, would, would send him to, to go do this. Is there, is surely there's, there's somebody else. And I think what this does in this moment is when we look at our own disabilities, when we look at our own deficiencies, we must be reminded of in this moment as God is reminding Moses that I made you that way. Fearfully and, and wonderfully in perfection, I, I gave you the color of your eyes and, and your height and, and your build and your stature, that I gave you those things fundamentally. And so what happens is, if we think about it carefully enough, when we begin to complain about our own deficiencies, or our own inabilities at times. What we begin to do is not complain uh, about ourselves, but we are complaining to God who fundamentally and uniquely made us precisely like we are. It doesn't mean that in the midst of those deficiencies that we can't grow and we can't get better and we can't learn and we can't overcome. But sometimes I, I think that we believe often as a people that, that our deficiencies mean that God somehow made a mistake. And he messed up when he created me or he gave me this attribute or whatever that is. No, friend, the, the Bible actually teaches the other way. God doesn't make mistakes and he has fearfully and he has wonderfully made you precisely like you are. And he's telling Moses, I'm the one that makes men speak. I'm the one that allows them to see and to, and to hear and to taste and to smell. In other words, what God is saying to Moses in this moment, he's saying, you steward what you have right now for my kingdom, and I will give you the words to say, you just be willing and you be eager to serve me. It reminds me of when Jesus speaks and he tells the, the parable of the talents. One man, he gives five talents, and the guy goes off and he makes five more talents. Another man, he gives two talents, and he goes off and he makes two more talents. He gives one guy one talent, and what does the, that guy go do with the one talent? He goes and he buries it in the sand. And then when the master comes to, to collect, he brings him back the one talent. And, and, and Jesus, in that moment, he, he says that that one who did not steward the talent that he had been given, he calls him a, a wicked servant and an evil man. And what that story uh, illustrates for us that, that God is reminding Moses of in this moment is that we as a people must steward the talents that God has given us. We must steward the ability to, to speak and to think, 
The ability to, to feel and to give and, and to go. That God entrusts us with those things. And what God wants from his people today is a group of, of people and individuals who are eager and willing and want to walk in that obedience, stewarding the things that God has given, using them for his kingdom. And seeing people at this church that are far from God come to know Christ because of how we're stewarding the things that God has given us. Verse 13, he goes on and he says, but O Lord, please send someone else. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Like God's had enough of this, uh, his lack of confidence in this moment. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against him. And he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be in your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people and he shall be your mouth and you shall be as God to him and, and take in your hand this staff with which you shall do these signs. And so Moses goes back in verse 18 to Jethro, his father-in-law, and he says to him, please, father-in-law, let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro says to Moses, go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses and Midian, go back to Egypt. For all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. Verse 21, and Moses, and the Lord says to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in power. But I, I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. And oh, by the way, Pharaoh, if you don't let him go, I will kill your firstborn son. Harsh. I want to focus just for a brief moment on that phrase in the end of verse 21 where he says, but I will harden his heart. What we're going to see in the life of this Pharaoh in particular, there are times when Pharaoh hardens his heart, and then there are times where God hardens Pharaoh's heart. And what we have here in this moment is we have this contrast or this paradox that exists between divine sovereignty and human responsibility. There are things in which we can do to deliberately harden our own hearts towards the things of God. And there are times where our heart is hardening because of what we are doing. And we wrestle with this tension between God saying, I will be the one that hardens his heart, the sovereignty of God in this moment. Why? So that God could be exalted when he delivers his people from the hands of the Pharaoh. And yet there are going to be moments where we see that God hardens it. And there will be moments where we see that Pharaoh hardens his own heart. And this tension that exists in the life of, of Scripture that we wrestle with, I will harden his heart so that he will not let them go. And then I will perform these miraculous signs and these wonders so that they will know that I am the Lord their God. And so Moses, 80 years of age, God says, I'm going to do something remarkable towards the end of your life. And in order for you to go forward, Moses, you're going to have to go backwards. 
And you're going to have to go back to the, the hard places, and you're going to have to see, and you're going to witness our people, my people, in the hands of a, of a ruthless dictator, of a tyrant, and you're going to be the one that helps set them free and delivers them. You know, the kingdom of God is often like that. The way forward is often behind us. Meaning that we look back upon the faithfulness of God in our life and we remember and we recall those good things of his faithfulness in our life in order for us to then to walk forward and to see and to experience and to taste that the Lord our God is good. And so he sends Moses back with a mission and he gives him a place of, of service. And so Moses begins to, to follow and to seek the Lord's direction. And, and Moses, who was taken up out of his circumstance and his situation and fought God at every turn, God sends someone else. Why me? I'm not qualified. I'm not able. And God begins to replace those longings of incapability. And he begins to build up into Moses the confidence that comes with following and trusting in God. I think sometimes... We're like Moses. We're running from God or we're dissatisfied with our circumstance. We don't like where we are. And I think one of the reminders for us this morning in God's word is that we must stop worrying about where God has placed you and instead start thinking about how you can be faithful where you are. Start being faithful with just where he has you today. Moses had to learn this. It wasn't ideal for him. It wasn't his ideal scenario. It's not what he wanted to do and where he wanted to be. But, but the reminder to Moses is the same reminder that it is for us today to just start being faithful with where we are today. To bloom where you're planted. Where God has you in the circumstance in your life. Maybe it's not your favorite place to be and you wish you could go somewhere else or do something else or have new friends or live in a bigger house or drive a nicer car. Just simply learn to be faithful where you are right now. And trust him. And let our God, who has always been faithful to us, be faithful to us tomorrow and the following day and the day after but pursue him with eagerness and walk in obedience. Let's pray. Father, we, um, we thank you that there are men like Moses whom we can learn from and to sometimes know what not to do and, and then sometimes know what to do. That you've given us everything within our lives to walk in faithfulness to trust you that has been revealed to us in your word. And so, Father, we pray that as a people, we would respond to that word. And, Father, would you give us your faithfulness? Would you show us more and more each day what it means to walk in faithfulness? So, Father, we pray now that you would inhabit our praises as we sing to you and respond. According to your word, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.